You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Ryan, we really do appreciate you. Uh, Ryan showed up right as the shelter in place was uh, being put in place, and so he came at probably one of the most difficult times, Jew. Uh, boy, almost in history, <laughs> and uh, he's done just an amazing job. He's done a remarkable job, and so we want to thank uh, Ryan and Sabrina and Liam, and uh, we're going to continue to, to lead our kids, lead our community. We just want to continue to do that, so thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Sabrina. We really do appreciate you. Well, last week, Annette and I stayed at home. Uh, I see how you guys could get used to that because we stayed at home. We stayed in our pajamas. We had a cup of coffee. We really, really enjoyed it. So I'm just going to tell you, don't get too used to it, okay? Because someday we do want you back, and hopefully it's someday soon. So uh, we just want to continue to follow Jesus, continue to do what he's called us to do. If you're new with us, would you just let us know how we might be able to help you? If, uh, if you want to help someone, you might be able to help someone, let us know as well, because we really want to reach out to community. You guys are amazing. All the things that you've been doing over these last six weeks just continues to astound me. I was hearing the other day that so many of you are, are taking the blessing of a stimulus check. You're helping others with that check. You're giving to others. You're giving to community. And I just want to say thumbs up to that because that is a, a huge gift and blessing to the communities and neighbors that you're part of. You know, I know things are hard for us, so many of us right now, and, and we're, we're praying together for our church family. We're praying for our communities, and we're praying for the world. And so wherever you're hearing this message, please know that you're constantly in our thoughts and prayers. Annette and I have found that so much is getting done spiritually when we do our prayer walks. And so this last week, we've walked around our neighborhood. We've been praying uh, we've been seeing neighbors out. It's all actually good to see people who are not on Zoom right now or on a, a social media app, but it's just good to be able to wave at folks and know that they're being prayed for. So I'm going to ask you to continue to do that anytime you go for a walk. I can't tell you how important this is right now. I can't tell you how important it is for just not only now, but for the future of the gospel of Jesus Christ because God is up to something. And we want to continue to plant seeds through prayer so that when people come to these places of, of hunger, of, 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 of a thirst, that we're able to, uh, we're able to help to lead them to Jesus Christ. So be praying over your neighborhood. And uh, we also want you to know that we are uh, preparing for a reopening. We don't know when or what time it's going to happen, but our team is together on a regular basis. And we're talking about what it looks like when we come back. We know a few things. We know that when you come back, we're going to rejoice. We're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy the time that we get to see each other again. But we also know that we're going to take care of people in this process. So would you keep praying? We have a great team, a wonderful team that is helping put this together. So let's do this today. Let's continue our study in the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bible out there and ready, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, the title of the series that we've been in is Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. Again, who would have known six months ago when we decided to study the book of Nehemiah that we would actually be in this place of studying a book, a person who's leading others through a crisis. And so this is amazing. You, you are all part of this process. 
And it's been great to do leadership and, and, uh, and being in community with you and showing people and shining the light of Jesus Christ. So this is happening in a difficult time where you're showing the care and love of Jesus. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at chapter 8 and 9 today. Now some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. Pastor Mark did chapter 8 last week. He did, and I want to thank him for that. I was just looking at chapter 8 and recognizing that chapter 8 is actually a launch pad into the rest of the book of Nehemiah. And so if you're familiar with the book of Nehemiah, then you know that chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 all take place within a few short weeks. So this is all time condensed. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you one more thing to think about in Nehemiah chapter 8. And uh, what you see here is you see Nehemiah, uh, he's actually uh, pulling people together and they're, they're, they're beginning to do something that they haven't done in a while. In chapter 8, there's this special event that the people of Israel, Israel celebrate, and they still celebrate to this day. Uh, it's one of the three major feasts. And if you're familiar with Israel's history, you're going to know that the, the feasts uh, are, the three major feasts are the, the, the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Feast of Shelters. Or the Feast of Booths or Tabernacle. It's all the same thing. Well, what we see in Nehemiah chapter 8 is Nehemiah and Ezra are pulling, and the leaders are pulling all of Israel together to celebrate the Feast of Shelters. This is really amazing to me because there's really some application for us here today. What I want to do is I want to read Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. And listen to what it says. It says... They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses and the Israelites, were to live in temporary shelters or booths or tabernacles. You can call it any one of those three during the festival of the seventh month. This was around September or October. Remember, their calendar was around the moon, the lunar schedule. So it shifts a little bit. And they should proclaim his word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive, wild olive trees, from myrtle trees, palm trees, shade trees, to make temporary shelters as it is written. And so the people went out and they they brought back the branches and they built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs in their courtyards. And remember the permanent houses as they got more permanent were flat so they built shelters on top. And it says here, do this in your courtyards, in the courtyards of the house of God, in the square by the water gate, and one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile, it's a beautiful thing here, they built temporary shelters and they lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. What the author is telling us here is they had celebrated the booth of shel- the, the feast of shelters before, but nothing like this in a thousand years. See, about a thousand years had gone by since the last time Joshua had celebrated it like this, and now they come to this place, this critical time in history where they're they're reestablishing their citizenship. They're they're reestablishing their relationship with each other and their relationship with God. And in fact, this would be the Jerusalem that Jesus would enter 400 years later. And so what they're doing is they're celebrating like they had never celebrated before. 
and they still celebrate today. In fact, you can walk through the streets and you can see uh, temporary booths and shelters built out on patios and verandas and, and, and in the streets. And what they would do is they would live in those for one week with family and they would just celebrate together. See, in the Hebrew, this is called the Sukkot or the purpose of, of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the purpose of Sukkot uh, then is remarkably relevant to us today. And I want to tell you, and that's why I didn't want to miss this, because there's a feast here, a feast of shelters, that there is some relevance, some amazing relevance for the things that we're dealing with today. I, I think it's accurate to consider the times that we're in are uncertain. And there's this strong sense of vulnerability that might even come with some anxiety, not knowing what's ahead of us, not knowing our future. So in so many ways, this is what the children of Israel were experiencing in that 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. They, they lived in temporary shelters, and God doesn't want them to forget this experience. He's saying, you have to remember this. And by the way, today, this is actually one of their greatest feasts. This is one of the things they really, the, the children of Israel, the modern Israel, remembers today. But God doesn't want them, He doesn't want us to forget so he mentions this in Leviticus 23 and Numbers 29 and Deuteronomy 16. And this is what he says. He says, keep the feast of shelters and celebrate this feast for seven days. Make sure you do this. So this is important to the national history of Israel. And it's important to our history and it's relevant today. So here are what I think are, are reasons that we should pay attention and learn from the Feast of Shelters today. The, the purpose of Sokot is to remind. So if you remember, all the feasts in Scripture in the Old Testament that we practice many of those today is to remind us of something. Now when we talk about the Feast of Shelters, there's layers and layers of things that God wants to remind His people of. I'm only going to talk about a few of those, but these few, I think, are going to be pertinent to what you might be experiencing right now. The first thing I think it reminds us of is it reminds God's people of their journey through the wilderness. So why is this important to us today? Well, because while we might not ever forget the event that we're in right now, as the children of Israel would never forget the fact that they wandered for 40 years, we do have a tendency to forget the inner workings of what God wants to accomplish in us in that event. See, while you, you, you're going to remember this, I think most people are going to remember that we're going through a pandemic. I don't think you're going to forget about this in 5 or 10 or 15 years from now. But what we may forget is the inner workings of God's Holy Spirit in our life. You, you see, whenever, whenever God called people to celebrate an, uh, an event... Uh, he wanted them to understand that it was about what was going on in their lives. It was about what was going on in their own hearts. And so what I'm saying today is just, I want to encourage you, don't forget what God is up to in you. Don't forget what God wants to accomplish in you. Because God uses national and international events to bring His people closer to Him. It's always His purpose. In the Feast of Passover, it's his purpose. In the Feast of Shelters, it's his purpose. In the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, it's his purpose. The event acts as a, as a catalyst for us, a catalyst for transformation. God will never, ever 
waste of crises in your life. He will always use a crisis, whether it's on a, uh, an international scale, a national or personal scale, he will always use it to draw us closer to him. See, I was around during the um, 9-11 crisis and, and uh, was able to see how the church responded to that. And I know especially in this community, people rallied, uh, people got together, uh, people closed ranks with each other. Uh, that, that was a, a national crisis. And for a few years that followed, uh, people really were leaning into the things that God had spoken to them about during that crisis. But what I noticed, including in my own life, after a while, that lesson began to become a distant memory. And so what I want to let us know is let, let's not let those lessons that God wants to teach us become a, a distant memory. Uh, when, when we come back, we're going to celebrate. But don't forget how we got here. Please remember. And I know sometimes God asks us to remember some painful things. And it's, it's hard for us to do that. But you got to know that God is in the pain. That God is in the brokenness. That God is in the hardship. That's where he shines. That's where he does a great work. So remember during this time that, that God is with us. And that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. A few weeks ago, I was walking around on the campus just taking time by myself because, honestly, I was the only one here on the campus. Everyone's at home right now. And so uh, I took time, and I wrote a few notes, and I want to read you something I wrote in my personal journal. And it says this. I took a walk around our campus today and had all these flashbacks. I've led people through a lot of major events. Most were community and regional, but some have been global. The 9-11 terrorist attack, the major recession in 2008, and now a pandemic. It comes out to one every 10 years or so, and each time, Jesus shines through. Each time we survive, then we thrive. We learn new things about ourselves. We learn about the resiliency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We learn who the leaders are and who they aren't. And we come back to the same things. How much we love our families. How much we love our communities. How much we love our friends. How much we love Jesus. It's actually pretty simple. Remember what God is leading us through now. And hold on to the things and the lessons that he's teaching us. So here's another purpose. Another purpose for the Feast of Shelters, is to remind God's people this life is temporary. And they're traveling to a permanent home with God. That's what they would do. Can you imagine the millions of, of Israelites in the desert, in the wilderness, wandering, that when they camped, they put up these temporary shelters. And it was there that they were reminded that what they're going through is temporary. But it also should remind us that what we're going through is temporary. It doesn't last forever. It also should remind us that we personally are not temporary. <laughs> that, 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 that the shell that I live in right now is not the eternal shell. The, the, the spirit is. My heart is. And again, that's always God's purpose and lessons and teaching us and leading us. So you can see the three or four dimensions here about the meaning and the typology of the shelters this is only temporary. Our bodies are only temporary. What is permanent 
is heaven and eternity and our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the permanency of that relationship. So we have to be reminded that we're all not that much. We have to be reminded that we're all not that good. We have to be reminded that we're flesh and blood and that we're not going to be here forever. And we are going to a place greater than this. For those that have called on the name of the Lord, for those that believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, there's an eternal home, eternal heaven. So this Feast of Shelters was actually pointing people to the eternity of God, the the eternal home with God, and that we would always have a relationship with Him. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. It says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And then in 1 Peter, Peter says it so well. He says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered just a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I love what Peter says. In fact, about a month from now, we're going to be studying through the book of 1 Peter through June, July, and August. And consequently, the, um, the title of that series is going to be simply Steadfast. We're going to be steadfast. That's what we're called to do. So when we're in a crisis, we look for and we want solutions. I know many of us are wanting solutions. We're wanting answers. We're wanting um, We're wanting deadlines. When is all this going to be over? Well, that might not come to us. The thing that we need to be reminded of is this. When we're in a crisis, our solution is not political. It's not economical. It's not our economy. Uh, We want all that to work. We want all that to serve the best for people. But our solution is Jesus Christ. Our solution is we're standing on a firm foundation and that we know that God is the answer to all that we're facing, that his word is what feeds us and benefits us. So stay in God's word. Continue to be reminded that you have a home in eternity with Jesus Christ. So there's one other thought about the purpose of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles or booths or shelters, to remind God's people to be thankful for their fellowship with him and with others. That's one of the things that this whole feast is about. I mean, you're, you're literally, like many of you have been for a long period of time, they did this for a week, you were asked to shelter in place with family for seven days. That's, that's, that was how you celebrated the Feast of Shelter. So you got together with each other, and I, I think it's a beautiful thing because once a year they would do this, but it reminded them who their loved ones are. It reminded them who they need to pay attention to. And I know a lot of you, especially young parents, know exactly what you've got to pay attention to now because you've been sheltered in place with your kids. And it's not an easy thing, but what I'm seeing and hearing is you're coming out of this with some great creative ideas that God has given you on how to lead your kids, how to educate your kids, how to spend time with your kids. I'm watching our kids and grandkids go through the same thing. And so I I want you to just pull some of those lessons out because some of the lessons that you're learning now, being sheltered in place, will actually serve you well as you move into the future because they're habits that God wants to continue to teach us. That's what he did when he celebrated or asked his people to celebrate the Feast 
of shelters. He said, learn some things here and carry those into the rest of the year. So when the feast of uh, or the festival of shelters was celebrated by building a temporary shelter, spending a week sheltered in with family, with God, they, 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 they celebrated. They had dinner together. There, there was a, a sense of joy in the house, of hospitality, of friendship, of stories, of God's faithfulness. That, that's really what they did. And Nehemiah tells them to do such. He says, listen, you shall rejoice in your feast. Go ahead and rejoice. Enjoy that. So please let joy, let joy be part of your celebration of faith. Um, I'm saying that because I know there are a lot of other things that we're probably looking at right now and paying attention to, and joy might not be one of them. I mean, honestly, it might not be. But in this place in Nehemiah chapter 8, you have that wonderful, it's a famous verse where Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So what he's doing is he's encouraging those families as they get together, encouraging community when they get together to say, hey, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's do this together. So family dinners, you might be doing that right now. Celebrate, learn about each other, learn about God. When do you think people, um, or what do you think people think when they think of the attributes of Christians? What, do, what are the first things, I was thinking this the other day, what are the first things that come to other people's minds when they think about Christians? Well, there's probably a lot of things. I hope they think that we're faithful. I do hope they think we're loving. I do hope they think that we're kind. But I'm not sure the first thing people think about is joy. But the Bible says that we need to be joyful people, that we need to experience the joy of the Lord. And I know this as a fact. I know that I laugh with those that I'm closest to. And so that we get together, and one of the fruits or the expressions of joy is that we get to laugh with each other. We get to laugh with each other and enjoy each other's presence. So remember, rejoicing isn't just something that you don't think about. In fact, rejoicing is a decision, not just an emotion. It's not just something that will always pop up. And so what I want to do is just talk to you just, just briefly on how do you position yourself emotionally to rejoice because that really doesn't seem to be the first attribute on the, the list right now. But it's something God says you need to be able to do, especially when we talk about the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, I want you to think about all the good things in our lives right now. I know that it seems tough, it seems hard, but to take time. I, I know Annette and I have just done this kind of spontaneously where we said, wow, we want to acknowledge this in our life right now, that this is a gift, and we want to be thankful for that gift. And most of that comes in our communication with you, whether it's here, whether we're writing notes to each other, sending each other notes online, whatever it might be. I think right now I'm just reminded of how grateful I am for you, for my friends, for many of you that are listening to this message. I'm grateful for you. And that's the thing I've been thinking about the most. I'm grateful for my family. Uh, But I don't want to lose that gratitude. Being thankful is actually a discipline. The more we choose an attitude of gratitude, the more joyful we become. So listen to what Paul says. and He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Experience the joy of the Lord. Now I want you to do something. I want you to transition just a little bit. I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 10, because in Nehemiah, cha- or excuse me, Nehemiah chapter 9, in Nehemiah chapter 9, you find one of the three national prayers of Israel. 
And in these three prayers of Israel, they're all very similar. You're going to find in Nehemiah 9 this prayer, Ezra 9, Daniel chapter 9. Yeah, they're all chapter 9s. And all have this promise. So when the people of Israel get together and they pray this prayer together, there's a promise at the end of the prayer. And the promise is found in 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Wow. You see, this is something that God is asking us to do right now. And in fact, if you take time and read through Nehemiah chapter 9, I did a couple times the other day, and I found out something interesting. I found out that the word you, Y-O-U, speaking of God, actually it's the word Elohim, is mentioned 58 times in chapter 9. So what is this prayer focused on? This prayer isn't necessarily focused on the current needs of Israel or the current needs of people. While that's important, that's not what these three national prayers focus on. It focuses on God. Because the people of Israel have come to this place and they recognize their answers aren't found in them because they've already tried it and it's futile. What they're saying, God, we come to this place and we confess our sins and we say you are the one that has brought us through. The focus is on God. It's, it's not on what's going on around them. It's on God. So the prayer in Nehemiah, it consists of three parts to it. I love the way it's broken down. The first It focuses on the greatness of God. And I just want to do this. I'm not going to do it in every passage, but here I'm going to do it. I'm going to read you verses 1 through 6 and listen to what it says. It says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together. The same month they started the Feast of Booths. They gathered together, fasting now, fasting and wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all the foreigners. They stood in their places and they confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Now I want you to picture this with me because it might appear that they all got together in this great big huge congregation. What they actually did is they got into small groups and they, they confessed to each other. That's how confession happens. They have what's called a minion. It's a group of ten. And that is most likely one of the things that was going on here. They would gather together in small groups, people they knew, and they would actually confess their sins. But they were doing it all together at the same time while the temple, the leaders there, were actually encouraging them in this public prayer. So you see that happening. So they stood where they were, right where they were, and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of a day. And they spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. I just thought of something a little earlier when I read this. I thought if I did that with you, I'd probably get fired. But that, that's taken up a whole lot of time in the course of your day to lean into God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites, they, the, the Levites were Joshua, Bani, Kadamel, Shibianiah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bana, Kenaniah, and they cried out, with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites were there, Jeshua, Kadamel, Bani, Hashadiah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shemabaniah, 
and Pentaniah said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, whom is from everlasting to everlasting. And then it says this, Bless be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are Lord. Remember that's mentioned 78 times. You alone are Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all the starry hosts, and the earth, and all that's in it, the seas, and all that's in them. You, Lord, you, Elohim, give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Powerful. The focus is on God. Feasting had turned into fasting as God's word brought conviction and confession. That's what happened, and they did this for a great part of the day. God's greatness is seen in the fact that we, he receives our worship, and that, that's what they're doing here. They're worshiping God. They're confessing their sins. They're leaving the things that displease God behind them. So then there's this next thing. The next thing that you see, the prayer is broken down into the goodness of God. And that's seen in verses 7 through 30. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to hear just the heart of it. It's really in verse 19. It says, Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. Speaking of the 40 years in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way that they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You, You did not withhold manna or food from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes didn't even wear out. Nor did their feet become become swollen. You see, God's goodness shows up in our failure. That's what it's saying here. Listen, we 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 didn't succeed, Lord. There were a lot of things we didn't do right. We sinned against you. But the Lord shows up in our failure. The word give here in this chapter is mentioned 16 times in the chapter. To give to God or God gave to us. And what it's saying mainly is God giving to us, we know that we have a generous God. Uh, He constantly meets our needs. So wherever we are, we need to know. And I'll challenge you to do this. Read through this chapter. If you feel you're wanting right now, if you feel you're lacking, read through this chapter and read each place where it says God gives you something. That God gives you something, that he bless you. So God's, God's heart is to constantly, constantly provide. So in this time of difficulty, what we need to do is remember God's goodness. How does God's goodness reveal itself to you? How is God showing himself to you? Well, I know his goodness forms me. I know his goodness leads me. I know his goodness disciplines me. And so those are ways I see God's goodness in my life. And I'm going to finish with this. This prayer includes God's greatness. It includes God's goodness. But it also includes God's grace. That's not left out of this prayer. And you see that in verses 31 through 38. And if you read that, you're going to see God's grace really, really at work here. I'm just going to read the beginning of it. It says, but in your great mercy, you did not put an end To them or abandon them, for you are gracious and you are a merciful, merciful God. You see, that's God's grace. God is giving us something we don't deserve. None of us have ever deserved salvation, but it's been given to us through the generosity of our Father in heaven, through His Son Jesus. We've been given so much. 
And for me to take time when it doesn't look like there's so much out there, for me to take time and say, Lord, I, I, I need to thank you for your grace. And your grace in my life has made up all the difference. It is a provision that I do not deserve. And Lord, I want to I thank you for that. So read that prayer. Understand what's being said here about God's goodness, about his greatness, uh, about his grace. Let me do this with you today. I'm going um, to take some time. I want to pray with you. But I want to do this before you sign off today. Um, I've asked Cody just to come and finish us out with the song of blessing that some of you heard a few weeks ago at Easter. I just felt maybe it was time to do that again so that you would be encouraged and know that, um, that you're not alone in any of this. We're all together, um, and we're being led by a faithful Father. Father, I want to thank you today for your goodness, your greatness, your grace in our lives, and that you remind us all through Scripture, and in this case, you're reminding us of the Feast of Shelters. Uh, and what it, what it makes me think about is, I'm not going to be here forever, at least not this shell. That my life is temporary, and I want to do the best with your Holy Spirit filling me. I want to do the things that you've called me to do. I don't want to waste my time on other things. I want to do what you've called me to. Lord, that you're leading us to a, a greater time, a greater place. Lord, let us be people who actually rejoice, that we make a decision, that it's actually a discipline in our lives, that we choose to have the joy of the Lord in our lives. And it's that joy that's our strength. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.